Okay, well, Psalm 126, you turn there, I'll turn there too. If you're still standing uh, for worship, you can remain standing as we read the text. If you'd like to stand, if you haven't been, uh, I'll invite you to do that too. I've titled this message, Cultivating a Harvest of Joy. Cultivating a Harvest of Joy. From Psalm 126, listen to the word of the Lord. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore the, our fortunes, O Lord, like the streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing in sheaves with him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Well, God, this is your true and living word. We open it with the expectation, as always, that you have truth and life for us in it, not just in general, but us specifically, those gathered within the hearing of your word even right now. Lord, you know the need in every life, on every heart. You know past, present, and future. What it is that we carry, what it is that uh, we need to hear that would encourage us and comfort us, that would challenge us and convict us, what in any respect would change us, as we know it is your desire uh, to transform us by the renewing of our minds. And so we ask that you would speak, O Lord, your word by your spirit through your servant to your people. God, would you move me out of the way uh, and let only your voice be heard for the good of your people and for your glory in Christ's name. Amen. And you may be seated. Well, as we began this series through the uh, Psalms of Ascent, I said I, that, that I just had this sense we, we needed to sort of sing our way out of 2020. Uh, These the, the Psalms of Ascent were songs um, to be sung on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. People traveling from wherever they were uh, throughout the nation of Israel going up to Jerusalem for the uh, pilgrimage feasts. And, uh, and these were songs that they sang along the way. And so I said, you know, uh, we, we ourselves kind of needed to sing our way out of 2020 and journey from the, the, the valley we've been in uh, during this season of time to a higher place. And surely, surely there's a higher place than 2020 has been. Uh, I know, I, I, I understand without needing to experience it in myself, there are lower places too. Um, so let's don't be too terribly down in the mouth, but we're journeying out of here and uh, upward um, and singing our way out. And, uh, you know, it may have occurred to you, it's been a, a week, a year ago this week that COVID began to shut down things in North Carolina. As a matter of fact, last year on Sunday, this particular Sunday, I was making an announcement in Sunday morning about some precautions we would take that, that Sunday and then in following weeks, um, just in, in light of this early circulation of the coronavirus that hadn't touched home in uh, Wilmington yet, I think maybe not in North Carolina um, at all. I, I, maybe there were some cases elsewhere. But anyway, 
no, in no way did we imagine that before the week was out, we would be making the decision not to have service that following Sunday. That's been a year ago. And, that, and that's not necessarily, I don't really want to mark all these milestones as dates, to, anniversary dates to celebrate. It's just to say uh, it has been uh, that, that long, and uh, you're, you're well aware of that. But in that time, and through that experience, there's been a lot that we've lost. We, we've really experienced, we have suffered loss during this period of time. And people have lost jobs, uh, whole businesses, certainly lost some business revenue, income in general. Uh, people have lost uh, just a normal school experience for students, parents, and for educators. We've lost our customary uh, worship uh, routines and uh, fellowship of uh, the church. We've lost these the sort of irreplaceable experiences of senior year for high school and college students. They don't get another senior year, just has made the most of it they can, but uh, certainly wasn't what they would have ever imagined it being. You know, there were people who, who lost that wedding of their dreams. Um, either because they didn't have their wedding or because they had it and it just couldn't be the one that they had dreamed of. And, I, and we could go on and on and on and on, but this is actually critical uh, to the message today and really to our um, healthy journey out of this place, it is, it's critical that we identify what it is we've lost. Not for the sake of lamenting that forever, and not for the sake of griping about it forever, but for the sake of dealing with it effectively. We have experienced loss. And not only to the, in those tangible ways, in, 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 in some ways, for some of the reasons I just mentioned or for others, I mean, people may have lost a sense of their identity in some way, a, a, a loss of self-worth, a loss of security. And most of us, to one degree or another, have lost a measure of joy. And Psalm 126 is basically a prayer asking God to restore what was lost. It's the, the essence of that prayer is actually found right there in the first part of the first phrase of verse 4, where he says, Restore our fortunes, O God. That is the prayer of Psalm 126. There's a lot around it, a lot of treasure around it, but that's the essence of the prayer. Restore our fortunes. And the psalm actually begins with a flashback to a time when God had done that before. Um, if you look at verses 1 through 3, you, uh, you, you sort of get a, a taste of that. When the Lord restored our, the, the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. You know, they're remembering a time. There was a time God restored our fortunes. We don't know what it was he's referring to about the lost fortunes of Zion, what particular experience there. But collectively, as a people, uh, they experienced like a national loss. And, uh, but, but, but God had restored their fortunes and they were like those who dream. And, and it goes on to say, you know, um, our, our mouth was filled with laughter, our tongues with shouts of joy. Uh, we were telling everybody about how good God was. And, and you 
probably uh, know very well, you've had the experience of having a good dream and what it's like, in other words, that, that to, to say, oh, that was, we were like those who dream. When you have a good dream, it's happy, uh, it's peaceful, it's blissful, so much so that when you wake up, you're sorry you woke up. Right? You want, it was so good, you want to see if you can crawl back into the dream somehow. If you can go back to sleep, maybe you can go back into that dream. I've never actually succeeded in doing that. But uh, you, you wish you could stay there. And so in essence, the, psalm, the psalmist is, is recalling an experience uh, where the, Lord, the Lord's favor upon the people was so good that they wanted to remain that way. They never wanted to leave that place. But somehow, it left them. And, 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 and so in verse 4, they're praying, Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the streams of the Negev, in the Negev. The Negev is a desert land. In some parts, it's extremely hot and dry, like you kind of imagine a desert being. I mean, just arid and intensely hot. There are other regions of the Negev that are not as hot and not uh, as extreme in their weather patterns. They get some rain and have some streams running through them. Most of the rain falls heavily in about three months of the year. And so there are some riverbeds uh, running through that desert region, and most of the year they're dry. And they dry out totally so that you can tell it's a riverbed, but it is, it is dust dry. Uh, but in the rainy season, when that rain is dumped on them over a period of just a few months, the water comes gushing down the river, uh, just, just in an over, overwhelming sort of way, a wonderfully overwhelming sort of way if you're in a desert land. And so this is the image of what they're praying for. Lord, cause a flood of your favor just to rush to us and rush over us. Restore our fortunes like the streams of the Negev. Now, many of us have had experiences similar enough to this whole flashback uh, to, to the times when God was so um, exceedingly good to us. We, we, we've had experiences similar enough to that that we understand, we understand what he's talking about. We can recall times when God just lavished his grace upon us. Right? And, and you, it was, it was so personal and so good that we didn't want to leave. And it was easy to praise God and hard not to praise Him. Right? It's just praise is just flowing off of your mouth. You may have even made the mistake, I think I could say, of, um, of saying things like, you know, I just don't know how people cannot praise God. God is so good. And, uh, and you, you, it is so good, and you're so thoroughly saturated in the blessings of God um, that you presume that this is sort of an all-the-time normal kind of uh, experience you're going you're gonna to have. And like uh, these in Psalm 126 that uh, the psalmist is speaking to, you just wake up one day, perhaps, and it just seems like the, the riverbed, so to speak, has dried up. That all of that favor that you're just overwhelmed with, saturated by, 
for, for no apparent reason, nothing you've done differently, um, but it just seems like suddenly you're parched spiritually and dry and wondering, uh, God, where are you? Come, come back, so to speak. Crying out to God again for his help, for his favor, for his provision and presence and so on. Uh, the key point, though, is in those cycles and seasons, there is something real that is lost. Uh, there's something real that's been lost, and joy has been lost with it. For the people of Israel in Psalm 126, and for you and me in real life, that when we, when we reach those points in, in our spiritual journey, uh, there's something real and tangible that's been lost and joy has been lost with it. And how is that joy to be restored? Well, what this psalm would tell us is that joy is to be harvested after tears have been planted. <laughs> joy is to be harvested after tears have been planted. That's why I said, called the message cultivating a harvest of joy. I mean, verses 5 and 6 speak to this in this really powerful metaphor. I mean, th this is rich. So, so sit up in your seat, okay? Stand up if you have to stand up, but don't miss what this says here. That those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. So... Uh, there, there's a, uh, an intentionality about this. Those who sow in tears, right? It says, in, it says that in verse 5 and then in 6. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing. And the tears are given to us here as this, the seed is a metaphor for our tears, but they are, they are carried for the purpose of planting, he who goes out bearing the seed for sowing shall reap, shall reap with shouts of joy. Now, uh, that's a wonderful assurance on the back end, but it is conditioned upon actually planting the tears planting the sorrows. There's a harvest of joy, in other words, that's in store for us. And right now, beloved, listen, in 2021 or in 2022, however far ahead in our future, there is a harvest of joy for us coming out of this season of sorrow, but only if we steward responsibly our sorrows. And here, let, let me preview some of what I'm getting ready to say. Because you can remain sour for a long time. You don't have to. The invitation to us here in Psalm 126 is to steward our sorrows responsibly so that we can cultivate a harvest of joy. And I want to suggest five ways that we can do that. Using this metaphor of, of sowing tears of planting our sorrows. I want to I apply that in, in five ways of how we can steward um, our sorrows in a very intentional way. 
And the first two would be a couple of things not to do. Number one, don't hold on to your sorrows. I mean, if seed is for sowing, then if you just sort of put it in a bag and set it on the shelf, it does no good whatsoever. Don't hold on to your sorrows. Some people are, are, are naturally inclined to do that, or say naturally, they, it's a learned behavior. They, they just, uh, by default, don't process sorrow. They don't deal with sorrow. They just, they swallow their sorrows. They push them down deep inside of them. And they, and they just try not to address them at all. And, and of course, you know, there, there really is something likely very unhealthy uh, about doing that. But, but it also um, fails uh, to obey God and what he tells us to do with them here. And, and, and therefore, we have to uh, assume we fail to uh, receive the abundance of joy that he would have for us if we just hold on to our sorrows. Tears are meant to be shed, not swallowed. Don't, don't swallow them. Um, but also, uh, some people hold on to their sorrows by just trying to cover them with positivity. Okay, and so you know, some people are, of course, naturally more positive than others, and some people are naturally more melancholy than others. But, uh, but any human being, if you live on this earth, there are circumstances that produce sorrow. Sorrowful circumstances that really produce what should be expressed uh, in the way of sorrow. And, and some people just try to cover that up with positivity. You know, they just... Uh, either put on a, a you know smile. Really, you can you can tell it's a little plastic, you know. Uh, or they they attach just you know sort of quaint sayings that they're almost trying to talk themselves into believing or other people into believing. But but it's just it's like a bad paint job on something. You know, it's like it's like painting a car with a paintbrush. I don't know if you've ever seen that done. Don't do that. <laughs> it looks awful. Um, but it's it's just it, it's the sorrows don't need to be held onto, even if they're just covered with a uh, with a bad paint job of positivity. You don't hold on to your sorrows. Second, don't misuse your sorrows. Again, to, to sort of extend the metaphor here, um, you could not only to to deal to sort of steward irresponsibly, or to fail to steward, I suppose, irresponsibly, uh, your sorrows and your seeds, you, you, you could th fling them on the rocks, right, or on the sidewalk, or you could just throw them up against the wall. Uh, there are lots of places you could misuse them, lots of ways in which you could misuse them. Uh, and there's probably lots of ways we can misuse our sorrows, too. Two, I would mention specifically, is uh, number one, wallowing in self-pity. You, you, can, you can terribly misuse your sorrows by wallowing self, in self-pity. Why is this happening to me? I don't deserve this. I'm the last person that should be going through this kind of thing. And you can really meditate on um, just the negative realities of your circumstances in such a way that it'll take you down to the depths of self-pity. Don't wallow there. Don't, uh, on the other hand... Convert your sorrows into resentment and bitterness. Or maybe a better way of saying that is allow your sorrows to, to be converted into resentment and bitterness. If you, 
if you just let if you let the sorrows sour if you if you let them sit long enough it's like they just ferment and become a a vinegar sort of uh substance in your soul and then makes you resentful uh and bitter and it'll make you focus on all the the people beside yourself all the people who are responsible for you being in this sorrowful situation, being in the situation where you've experienced loss. Other people are responsible for your loss and resentment would have you focus there. Anger and resentment would lead you to pray, God smite my enemy for his wickedness. Sorrow will lead you to pray, God restore to me what my enemy stole from me. So the focus is on uh, what was lost not on whoever I think might have been responsible for it. There are places in the psalm that psalmist will pray, <laughs> God smite my enemy as well. But the, but the point is there is something essential about dealing with the loss. And, and listen to me. Uh, there are a lot of people who bypass the sorrow and leap directly to resentment and bitterness, and you're still living there. And you're going to stay there. You're not just going to grow out of that. That will callous you if you don't deal with what really is the sense of what you have lost, even if it's been taken from you. But what's the loss you've experienced? What's the pain that you've experienced from that? That you need to take to God. Sowing your sorrows, planting your sorrows. Because if you, if you just, uh, if you leap directly to resentment and bitterness and stay there, I mean, you will, you will become a, a sour, wrinkled curmudgeon and, and will just get more and more bitter uh, as time goes on. Time is not going to heal that wound. You're going to have to deal with, um, honestly, what's really gone on in your own heart. So don't, don't hold on to your sorrows. Don't misuse your sorrows. But instead, number three, pray your sorrows or pray your tears is the way uh, I actually said it. And this is really the crux of the matter here. And, and there's not really a better way of saying that. Um, I thought about saying turn your tears into prayers, but that implies instead of crying, I'm going to pray. No, 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 no. Uh, pray your crying. Pray your tears. If seeds need to be planted uh, in a place where they can be fruitful, then your tears need to be deposited in a way that they can produce joy. And the way we do that uh, is to bring them to God. To pray what it is that brings tears to our eyes. Uh, let your tears fall in the place where you bow your head. Uh, kneel down, bow your face before God, and let your tears wet the pillow that you're bowing on. Pray your tears. Talk to God about what has been lost. And again, you, are, you actually may do, need to do some examination of yourself to even know what that is. You, because you... You haven't really thought about that. 
in a specific way. Your, your, your heart wants to go immediately to blame somebody else who, who did things that made you feel the way that you're feeling. And that's why you're mad because of what somebody else did. But something has been lost and you've not dealt with the loss. Identify what that is and talk to God about that. That's what the psalmist does here. Restore our fortunes. There's no mention of who stole their fortunes from them, so to speak. Of who is to blame for the loss of their fortunes. Just to cry out to God, restore them. Pray your tears. Number four, uh, practice ordinary obedience throughout your season of sorrow. Um, I, I, I sort of draw this from the fact that the, using this metaphor of, of planting and then harvesting or sowing and reaping, in between sowing and reaping, there's a lot of tedious tending of the garden, isn't there? For those of you who garden, uh, you would know that. There's a lot of weeding. Uh, pulling weeds, that is, watering, dealing with bugs, trying to keep the bugs away, um, trying to keep pests away like rabbits and squirrels and uh, deer and other things, depending on where you're living. But just a lot of mundane, ordinary work after the sowing has happened, but long before there's anything that even appears to be a harvest on its way. But we do the routine uh, drudgery at times of tending what we've planted with the expectation that there's going to be a harvest. And so it is that when we are in a season of sorrow and we planted our tears, we prayed our tears, that we continue to just do the ordinary things that obedience requires of us throughout the season of sorrow, carrying heaviness uh, as we do so. Uh, Tim Keller used a really, uh, I thought, very helpful metaphor in talking about this, another baseball metaphor, two weeks in a row, who would have thought? Uh, so, you know, a, a batter in the on-deck circle in a baseball game will often swing a bat either with a uh, what they call a donut on uh, the bat, sort of a weight that goes on the end of it, or they might pick up two bats and swing them. And uh, the idea is, as you're, as you're warming up, uh, you're, you're swinging a heavier weight so that when you go into the batter's box with your regular bat, um, it just feels lighter. So there's a sense in which just, just practicing ordinary obedience throughout a season of heaviness, that when we're delivered from the heaviness, when the heaviness is lifted off of us, uh, we are just better trained, are, are, are better equipped um, to really uh, dance and leap and praise God, uh, to, to, to be filled with joy and expressive of joy. And so just, just obey God. It, it, part of the, uh, the correlation here is you don't wait until you just feel spiritually energized in order to do something further. That's why the, the, the garden tending metaphor is helpful here because we're, we're not just waiting uh, for joy to arrive like it's the wind blowing or the tide coming in or something of that sort. We've planted 
our tears, we, we just obediently tend what we've planted in ordinary ways for a season of time, trusting the harvest is going to come. So even in that heaviness, uh, you continue to pray. When you really have to force yourself to pray, then there's nothing inside you that really wants to pray. You're, you're, you're despairing that badly. Pray anyway. Read your Bible. Go to worship. Fellowship with other believers and, and tell them about uh, your sorrows and let them share the burden with you. Be obedient uh, in just ordinary ways. And then number five, and this is really... I. I had this as number one at one point, uh, and you'll maybe see why. Examine your sorrows in light of the cross of Christ. And here's really the point, however you might uh, say that differently. His sorrows will put your sorrows in their proper perspective. When you think about the sorrow that he endured for our sake, uh, it puts our sorrows and sufferings and hardships in the right perspective. Isaiah 53 uh, verses 3 through 5 says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, as, and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. He, he was one who uh, so much shame was cast upon him. Uh, that that in, in some respect, people were a little embarrassed for him. And other people were a little bit embarrassed of him. They hid their face. He was despised. We esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and he's carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. You hear the theme, right? Uh, he was a man of sorrows because he bore our sorrows. He was acquainted with grief because he bore our grief. And that's why uh, Hebrews 12, uh, 1 through 3 that I read at the early part of the service um, is so helpful in this regard. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. That he, for our sake, uh, took on all the pain of the cross all of our sorrow, all of our grief that came along with our sin. And so there's no, there's no hardship we face that compares with that, number one. There's no hardship uh, that we face that he hasn't already died to deliver us ultimately out of. And that's really, I suppose, the bottom line, that Jesus experienced ultimate sorrow so that through him, we might experience ultimate joy. We look forward to not too long from now, we hope, uh, on this earth, 
a season of joy restored to us, that we're sowing in tears and we're, we shall, we shall reap with shouts of joy. But even that doesn't compare to the ultimate joy that he has secured for us, that we will enter into, and it will be even better than a good dream. It will be um, happier, more peaceful, more blissful than our best good dreams that we would want to remain in, and we shall remain there with him. And so, uh, again, the, the, the invitation, the exhortation, what we are urged to do in this passage, as we know, we desire now as much as we have maybe ever in our lives, God restore what's been lost. Even in real practical ways, every one of us wants to say, I, I can't wait till things get back to normal even in real practical ways. Something's been lost and we want to recover it. And, and, and there are ways much deeper and more significant uh, than even those surface level things that, that would come to mind. But that is the prayer of, of just about everybody's heart right now. Restore to us, O oh God. And so the sorrow that accompanies that sense of loss that we've all experienced, needs to be stewarded. It needs to be stewarded responsibly, and we do that by planting our tears, tending them, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, uh, the one who was ultimately a man of sorrows, that in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Well, let's pray. God, we thank you so much for this assurance. Lord, we love the word shall, that we shall come home with shouts of joy, reaping. We shall come back reaping with shouts of joy for all of those who would plant our tears. And so God, would you, by your spirit, just reveal what's in our hearts, what's maybe deep down, the sense of what it is we've lost. And, and God, would you lead every single person to deal honestly with that, not who else might be responsible for that loss, but the loss itself, the pain that it's caused in each heart the sorrow that it's produced, Lord, that we might sow those tears and reap joy that we haven't even imagined that we could have. Lord, would you do that? We trust you, Lord. We said at the outset, as we always do, we believe that this is your word and that it is true and that it is living. Would you prove that truth to us one by one? And would you produce from it um, a great life that accompanies the joy that we're going to harvest. Minister this to each person one by one, I ask in Christ's name. Amen.